Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We will continue to read from G Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. We're in the 29th Anucheda, a rather extensive Anucheda it is, dealing with different statements that one may see within Scripture and different leelas presented in Scripture, which seem to contradict the Pariva Sutra of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Krishnastu Bhagavan Swayam. So this discussion began by Jiva Goswami pointing out a few particular verses from the Bhagavatam. And they went, then he went on to Leela, Leela narrative in the Bhagavatam, which seemed to contradict uh, the Pariva Sutra. We're going to continue with the discussion of the Leela narrative of the Kesha avatar of Vishnu. So the background is that Mother Bhumi was feeling some distress from all the uh, demoniac leaders on the face of the planet. In her distress, she went to the demigods for some relief, tried to bring in the Calvary since she couldn't determine how to resolve the matter herself, or she was inspired to go to the demigods, however you may want to look at it. If you want to look to Mother Earth as having sufficient capacity within her own jurisdiction to uh, certainly throw off any bad elements, so we shouldn't... Her, her calling out for help should not be taken as any as a sign of any weakness on her part in her full capacity to deal with uh, a few disturbances uh, created. But it's a Leela narrative and it gives us a perspective. Uh, the demigods are extremely uh, powerful in their positions and uh, Mother Bhumi does not uh, lack her own power in that regard as we can see from our own experience. So the demigods are a, it's a team effort, I guess is the way we can certainly look at their, their working together for uh, uh, the well-being of uh, humanity and, well, all, all jivas within the material universe. So Bhumi has her certain, her position, as do the other demigods. So she, she went to the demigods and of course, she went to the head of the demigods, Brahma, and she stated her case. I'm in a distressed condition here. I need uh, some relief. These demoniac kin kings are uh, uh, upset, upsetting everything. Uh, Brahma, along with the other demigods, went to the milk ocean, and within the center of the milk ocean is, a, is an island called Sweta Dweep, which is itself the uh, the residence of uh, Vishnu, a specific manifestation of the Purusha avatar. So this manifestation, the Lord, Lord has many manifestations. The Purusha has many manifestations uh, within the universe. And this particular manifestation uh, referred to in the, this particular Leela narrative is... Uh, is a, a manifestation of Aniruddha. And Aniruddha is uh, 
basically the the antaryami, the indwelling super soul of every jiva within the universe. So they approached the ocean of milk and they they gave some prayers and from those prayers, which are related in the Bhagavat Purana, Vishnu uh, responded to them and he actually appeared to Brahma. This particular Leela is in that narrative that Vishnu appeared to Brahma and as an indication, he pulled two hairs from his head supposedly, and he told Brahma, these hairs, one black and one white, will enter the wombs of two of the Yadus, Devaki and Rohini, and they will resolve the problem for you. They will be an avataric descent of mine. So the way the verse reads in the Bhagavat Purana and in other Puranas, which Jiva is going to uh, bring up in this particular Anucheta, one could misunderstand exactly what Vishnu spoke to Brahma. We could misunderstand it and think that, well, these two avatars, Krishna and Balaram, are manifestations of Vishnu. And we could also have a misconception. Well, so Vishnu is under the influence of time in that he has one white and one dark hair. We could also misunderstand that. So there are many ways that this particular, we could interpret what Vishnu said and the way it's presented in the Bhagavat Purana and the way it's presented in other Puranas in such a way that the overriding verse, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, would, would be diminished in that Krishna would be understood from a misreading of this Leela narrative and a misreading of this particular state, the statements made by Vishnu, one could misread them and say, well, then Krishna's just, he's an avatar. He's, he's descending through the potency of Aniruddha, the manifestation of Vishnu. He's not the overriding Bhagavan. He's not Swayam Bhagavan, the source of all other manifestations. So Jiva's in, in light of the fact that the verse could be misunderstood, Jiva, for the benefit of the Gaudiya Vaishnav community, of which we are in that lineage, is saying, we have to see this verse in light of the Parivas Sutra, I will show you both through the syntactical use of the Sanskrit in the verse, through the context of the way where the verse was spoken, and through the context and other descriptions in other Puranas that it needs to be understood 
in this specific way by a Gaudiya Vaishnav. And in this discussion, as we get into it deeper and deeper, we're also going to come to some very interesting points about, about how we have to approach our study of Scripture and how we have to approach the Leela Leelas that are presented in Scripture and how some of the Leelas, not all the Leelas carry the same weight, not all of the Puranas carry the same weight, not all the different manifestations of the Supreme Lord have the same, have the same and display the same potency as others. And some are, some are specific. So, it's 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 a it's a real entry for us into the 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 deep esoteric meanings and why even at certain times the the scripture itself <coughs> will present a meaning a meaning to an audience that doesn't lead to the to the deepest understanding not everyone is, is qualified. Not everyone is looking for. Um, Krishna states in the Bhagavad Gita, yada yada hi dharma sha. Um, no, that's not the worst. Ye yatamam prapajante. All of them, as they approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. Scripture is like that also. It's, it's a manifestation of the Supreme Lord. And as you approach the scripture will relate as we approach spiritual life as we approach and as we approach any desirable attainment whatever is how we how we approach it what's in our heart what we desire to receive from it the that's the way that we're it's going to be reciprocated as we approach krishna he reciprocates accordingly now, we have a unique, a unique advantage at this point in our existence. We've come into contact with a specific manifestation of the uh, dispensation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which from everything that we can see and everything that we've been exposed to through this Sampradaya seems to be the most extraordinary conceptions of the Supreme Lord, the most extraordinary opportunities to enter into the deepest understanding of the Lord and enter into a, a deeping, loving relationship with the Lord based on those understandings. And as we've mentioned a few times in our classes here, and looking at the way Jeeva's presenting this, he, a lot of, of, of what he covers is kind of built into the ground the ground and the foundation of the spiritual understanding of that we have 
of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of Lord Krishna, of Radha Krishna, of the Panchatattva, of, of the Purusha avatars, we have a basic understanding that is extremely well grounded from the from the from the very inception of our introduction to the sampradaya through the current that's coming down in disciplic succession sometimes we don't realize how good we have it it's pretty extraordinary especially when we have someone like jiva and he he it seems like he just keeps pounding the same philosophical point relentlessly you know as if as if we as students are 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 just stubborn we don't you know how do we how does he pound that in? he just keeps pounding the same point from every angle from every viewpoint taking into consideration every possible argument that we wouldn't even come up with. He, he comes up with those arguments. You didn't think about this, did you? Well, somebody could think of it this way. Let's look at it if they did. And we'd say, well, who would ever do that? Well, we would. <laughs> and we could. And we do. And that's why we have we take shelter at the feet of the guru. He, he, he brings this, he takes, he, he sits before us and he says, okay, I'm here. What are your doubts? Are there any questions? So we ask a question and an hour later, <laughs> we get to the answer. <laughs> but we get to it in a comprehensive uh, uh, way. So... Similarly, that's what we see also in these Anuchetas of Jiva Goswami. He goes about it and he, he just keeps going until, all right, uh, you understand? Is that all right? <laughs> and then, so we're going to take off where we left off and basically continue with this same discussion. So the discussion specifically is called uh, the Kesha avatars of Vishnu. So Kesha can be interpreted as hair. That's one interpretation. So that's why it's called the Kesha avatars, meaning the black and white avatars of Bhagavan, which would be Krishna and Balaram. So I'm just going to read and hopefully we'll be able to come back to the place that we were. The word meaning for Ujjaharat Mana Keshal, Vishnu Purana, is also given in the commentary of Mukta Pala as follows. Keshal means the two masters, Isau of bliss, Ka. The white-colored one is Rama, the Lord uplifted Ujjahara, them from himself, Atmana. Indeed, in the Harivamsa Purana, it is stated that Bhagavan concealed his own form in a mountain cave and having stationed Garuda there as its custodian, he himself appeared here 
This is described in the following words. I'm going to go ahead and read the quote from the Hari Bams of Purana and then uh, put it in the perspective of the Leela. Uh, Vaisapayana said, In this way, taking leave of the Devas in their solitary heavenly domain, Swarga, Lord Vishnu went to his own abode in the northern quarter of the Milk Ocean. At that location, there, in a cave called Parvati, in Meru Mountain, which is difficult to approach and is worshipped regularly by the Devas on the occasions of the new and full moon, Amavasya and Purnim, the benevolent, omnipresent Lord Hari placed his primeval body there and manifested himself in the house of Vasudev, Hari Vamsa Purana. So here, Jiva is showing this word Kesha can also mean um, a repository of bliss. That's another interpretation of the word Kesha. So it's not just hair. It's, it's uh, not just rays. And that will come up as we go on. It also can be looked at as a manifestation of bliss. So... Then Jiva Goswami, he gives some praman, some evidence to support this understanding. And that support he's drawing from the Harivamsa Purana. And what he's saying is, after Vishnu pulled the two hairs out and had his discourse with Brahma and said, Krishna and Ram are going to appear in two of the wives, the Vrishnis, Devaki and Rohini, uh, after he made this statement, pacified the demigods, the demigods in turn pacified Bhumi, and Bhumi said, oh, 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 okay, this is great. So I'm going to have two avatars walking on me, what a blessing that will be for me, and they'll also relieve the burden of the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. So now Jeeva's drawing from the Harivamsa Purana, he says, and then Vishnu, in anticipation of that, he left the scene. He went back to his own island, and on the island, he, he went into a cave told Garuda to protect him there so that he could, as an amsa of Krishna, enter into Krishna's body because when Krishna descends, all of his parts and parcels are with him in his, in his manifestation of Swayam Bhagavan. So that's what Vishnu did. Kashira Dakshai Vishnu. He also entered into the body of Krishna. So that's what Jiva is showing us here through these quotes that this manifestation, Aniruddha, entered into Krishna when he descended. And that this word, Keshau, or Kesha, in the context of the verse that could be misunderstood could also refer to 
the bliss of the word can be be taken as bliss, and this manifestation is a manifestation of the bliss of the Lord. Jiva then writes the following: Those who have commented on this verse solely in conformity with the literal meaning of the words have not deliberated properly because it is well known that even the suras are free from old age and its effects such as gray hair so what to speak of Vishnu himself who is Deva Deva so Jeeva is saying the Deva of all the Devas is Vishnu within the universe he's like the head Deva and if the demigods and the residents of the higher planetary systems themselves never age, then what to speak of Lord Vishnu? So you cannot take a literal meaning from this verse and say that Vishnu has gray hair or white hair or black hair. You can't take, the verse is not to be taken literally. Bhagavan, who is beyond the ravages of time, is altogether free from gray hair because he is not subject to aging, nor is there any evidence that he naturally has black and gray hair. Consequently, in the Nisringa Parada, in the context of Krishna's avataric descent, it is precisely the word shakti, potency, that has been used and not the word kesha, hair. For example, and he says, in other Puranas, this same subject is talked about. And this word Kesha is not used in those other Puranas. We find it in the Bhagavat Purana in this narration, but there's other narrations of exactly the same incident where that word is not used. So you again, this reinforces the fact that you can't take a literal meaning from the verse. Then he quotes from the Nisringa Purana. Appearing in the Yadu dynasty in Devaki through Vasudev, his white and black potencies, Shaktis, Shakti is the, is the Sanskrit word used in that verse, will slay Kamsa and others. Jiva Goswami continues. Now he's going to continue for quite a while here. We got a lot of ground to cover. So, you know, uh, don't tire of the subject matter. We'll try to present it in a way that will make it as exciting as it really is. <laughs> it may be argued so, then let the word kesha be indica indicative of a part, amsa. Jiva, again, here is putting up another argument. Well, then... Okay, you don't want to say it's hair. All right. Well, maybe somebody will say it means amsa, part. He took a part of him, a part of Vishnu. Well, it's a way you can look at it, right? Because every jiva is a part of um, Vishnu. I keep looking for the word of, of uh, Karnadakshaya, Karnadakshaya. Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu, the indwelling super soul. So the uh, 
So Jesus is saying, some people may say that. Well, don't don't use the word kesha. Use the word amsa. Then you can understand the verse. Jesus says, to this we must reply. No, because he, Sri Krishna, is ascertained as the original Purusha himself, being unremittently self-endowed with all potencies, and because the names Krishna, Vishnu, and so on are used without any distinction, being understood as synonyms. There is no other avatar whose appearance day is widely renowned by the word Jayanti, the birthday of Sri Krishna. Thus, it is said in the Mahabharata. <clears throat> then he quotes from the Adi Parva of the Mahabharata. In this book, it is Bhagavan Vasudeva, the eternal, imperishable, supreme Brahman, who is glorified. He is the object of the yogi's meditation and is untouched by matter. Here ends the excerpt from Humadri's commentary on Muktafala, known as Kaivalya Dipika. So Jiva's going everywhere to get his, to, to bring forth different arguments and different, I, different ways of looking at the subject matter. Then Jiva continues himself. His being free from the influence of time is confirmed by the words of Sri Devaki Devi, O friend of the unmanifest, Prakriti. This phenomena of time by which the cosmos is impelled is referred to as your own volitional act, Chesta. The same conclusion is also widely recognized from this statement of the residents of Dwarka. And then he quotes another verse from the Bhagavat Purana, first canto. O Lord, we perpetually bow down to your lotus feet, which are worshipped by Brahma, his son, Sonika, and so on, and the king of the Devas, Indra, which are the supreme shelter of those in this world who aspire for the ultimate welfare, and over which time, Kala, the supreme ruler, even of Brahma and so on, has no influence at all. So Jiva is simply trying to reinforce the point that this manifestation of Krishna and Balaram, and specifically Krishna, is has to be seen as Swayam Bhagavan. And this little section here will bring to an end <clears throat> this uh, subpart of the uh, Anucheta. In the Prabhaskanda, it has been shown that the word kesha denotes hair and its characteristic of turning gray due to aging. Such a direct meaning was, is without authority, Jiva says. Just has, doesn't, it's, the direct meaning of this has no authority because the topic belongs to a section that advocates dry renunciation for embodied beings and because it is common knowledge that all devas are free from old age. In this respect, it resembles the following description from Garuda Purana. So Jeeva is saying here, context. We also have to look at look at it in context. And
where in the Prabash Khanda this is brought out and Kesha is referred to as hair and as what when someone could take to be aging hair what's really being discussed there is renunciation and it's not it's the subject matter is is not related to manifestations of the supreme lord it's not what's being discussed so again jiva's coming up with something that we probably ourselves would not come up with but he's saying some way argue that well wait in this particular prabashkana they do refer to kesha as hair and he's saying yes it is referred to as hair there but the hair there is referring to the hair of someone who's a dry renunciant and his renunciation is is, is of course a, you know he's he's in the context of of, of karma kanda he's performing actions he re, re, performing austerities so that's what's being discussed avataric descents of the supreme lord are not under discussion so let's not take that use of the word in that context and pull it from there and apply it to this section of the Bhagavat Purana that's talking about this ascent of Krishna and Balaram at the plea of Mother Bhumi made through the demigods to Lord Vishnu. Let's not do that. There's not going to be any benefit if we if we take that approach. And then he said it resembles a it resembles something else. And then he gives an example of the something else that such an understanding resembles. From the Garuda Purana, I offer my obeisances to the cosmic law of karma. And this is interesting how this is stated here. Which, okay, the subject is karma. Okay, and this statement from the Garuda Purana goes on to say, which, karma, meaning which, like a potter restrained Brahma within the pot in the form of the universe, which cast Lord Vishnu into great tribulation by impelling him to accept ten avatars, which made Rudra go begging with a skull in his hand, and by the power of which the sun rotates perpetually in the sky so here the scripture this part of the garuda purana is speaking of the influence of karma and it's speaking of the influence of karma it's so great that even brahma is like a man in a pot of the universe he can't get out it's keeping brahma within the universe what else does it go it goes on to say that it forces vishnu karma forces vishnu to make avataric descents and karma 
forces Shiva to go begging with a skull in his hand. Now, are we going to take that as a literal translation? No. But if we look at it into the con, and we don't have the whole context here, but we can see that one could talk of the of the how powerful karma is upon the the jivas, the living entities within the universe, and how that karma is executed and controlled through the modes of material nature, which are respectively overseen by Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. So again, context, what's being, what's the lesson that's being taught by the scripture, and what's the context of that lecture, lecture, that lesson. <laughs> what's, you know, what, what's, what are they saying? So if we can see it in the proper context, then we can come away with something that's spiritually nourishing it for us. But we, such statements, which are meant to extol the, 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 the powerful force of karma on, on us within the material universe, such lessons should not be taken out of context and saying, well, come on, Vishnu's subject to karma. He has to he has to take this avatar and that just like we have to take a body, he has to take this avataric descent and that, and Brahma's stuck in the universe, and uh, you know, Shiva's a beggar. You you can't come away with, with that. That's not what it's teaching us. So we began with uh, in this subsection of the section with the great commentary commentator Sridhar Swami's conclusion regarding how to see this verse. And then what we have here is, is another look at the way that we should see it, and Jiva himself adds that. He says, O oh Davis, why do you insist? This is his translation, the way Jiva would translate this verse. O oh, Davis, why do you insist that I alone should avatarically descend to relieve the earth of her burden? Because they went to Vishnu and said, we need some help here. So you need to descend and relieve the burden of the earth. And so Jiva's saying, well, this is, the, this, is what, this is what Vishnu's thinking. He's, he's thinking and he's, he's speaking like this. Be pleased to know, this is what Vishnu is responding to the demigods, be pleased to know that Krishna and Balaram, who are worthy of my reference and whom I uphold on my head like two hairs, will themselves appear here, there. Um, that is the intended meaning. That's what really what Vishnu it's a way we should understand what he said. Not that he's taking two hairs and they're going to become, his hairs themselves will become avatars because they're going to enter into the wombs of Devaki and Rohini. It's not, no, not at all. They're indicative. What he's saying is, 
you know, these avataric descents are superior even to me. And that, yes, they're going to have two colors, white and black. One description in the commentary here I wanted to share with you, which is also adds some further light to us. Sometimes scripture employs cryptic statements to conceal the truth from those who, those whose faith structure and attention is drawn elsewhere. In other words, they have a different, their intent in reading scripture may not be the same as the intent that the scripture is trying to relay. So therefore, the scripture may be a little cryptic. Parokshavad. Krishna is even attracted to this parokshavad. He likes this indirect, esoteric meanings. It's like this is the secret, the secret of the secret, and the most secret of all secrets. So if you could understand, if you're with, if you've been with me up to this point. If you've gone through all 18 chapters, then I'm going to give you the most secret. So in the 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, he uses that wording. This is the most secret. I've given you secret. I've given you the secret of the secrets. Rajavidya, Rajaguyam, Pavitramida, Muttamam. It's hidden. It's paroksha. My dharma is hidden dharma. This knowledge is the most secret of all secrets. It's the purest knowledge. And because it gives direct perception of the self by realization, it is the perfection of religion. It is everlastingly and it is joyfully performed. But it's paroksha. It's guyam. It's secret. And then to the 18th chapter of the Gita, the secret of all secrets. There is no one more dear to me than you. So this is this is how Krishna relates this knowledge, but it's cryptic. So such cryptic verses, it goes on. Those depicting Krishna as an avatar of Vishnu, Kesha, and as his amsa are pers- precisely of this nature. They're looking for something else. They're not looking for the essence of the essence. So therefore, such verses are called Kuta, cryptic or enigmatic statements. Accomplished poets were known for their skill in composing them. In light of this consideration, we are advised to find an alternative meaning of the word kesha. The appropriate use of logic is to provide coherent meaning to the statements of Shastra. Another thing that comes out here, which I find interesting and which is going to be unpacked a little bit more as we go forward, is, uh, as you remember, um, in the Bhagavat Purana, Ramaharshan Sutta. So Ramaharshan Sutta was speaking the Puranas, and it, it comes out in the commentary here that that he didn't have a complete and comprehensive understanding of, of the Supreme Lord, of Bhagavan. So therefore, when Balaram arrived on the scene, not having a 
comprehensive understanding of the Lord and all of his descents and manifestations, he didn't even stand for Lord Balaram. And Balaram didn't stand for him. <laughs> In fact, he, <laughs> he, well, he just did away with him. And all the sages are there like, whoa, wait a minute. You've done the greatest disservice to us. We're hearing the Puranas from Ramaharshan Sutta, and you've just taken his life because he didn't show you respect. Who are we going to hear the Puranas from? And then, of course, Sutta Goswami took his father's place and spoke the remaining Purana that needed to be delivered, the Bhagavat Purana. Because Ramaharshan Sutta wasn't qualified to speak on that Purana. So in that section, uh, the following verse is quoted. Such is the account of some, that some sages put forth. A wise king, but those who speak in this illogical manner contradict themselves, having forgotten their own prior statements. It concludes as follows. It is concluded, therefore, that the word Kesha in Vishnu Purana does not mean hair and that Krishna is not a partial manifestation of Vishnu. Puranic statements to this effect are made either to conceal esoteric truth or because the speaker is unacquainted with such confidential mysteries. So in our next discourse, we will address the fact that the Bhagavad overrules other scriptures. And in this particular subpart and ending part of the 29th Anucheta that we'll discuss in our next class, this same Leela is again unpacked as it's presented in in other Puranas. So do we have any questions this evening? I just want to know if my understanding is correct that, you know, just uh, for the general reader of Srimad Bhagavatam or someone that's, I don't know, I guess it's, it's like the real truth is only available to people that are super serious about wanting wanting it and like the casual readers of the Bhagavad Gita and the Srimad Bhagavatam and the scriptures they're just not they're going to take these things literally these different statements I mean, at a certain time I mean uh, if we look back to uh, when I look back to my spiritual masters uh, beginning presentations in the western uh, world uh, to us hippies, he told us it's all literal. It, yeah. It's all literal. All the all the lila, you know, take a literal stance. So, of course, as time goes forward, then we understand that more. Well, you're reading this, and you're not you're not thinking this doesn't this could this is just a fairy tale was the base, basic point that he was trying to convey at that time. But now we're finding out, well, some are literal, some are figurative, and then 
you know, then you come to statements like Jiva Goswami himself. He has his own verse in the Paramatma Sandarbha that we just if any of these arguments, the only reality in his verse, he says something to the effect, the only reality, this is Jiva's verse, Satyamna Satyamna Krishna Pada Bamodam Anantara. For us, any object other than the enchanting fragrance of Sri Krishna's lotus feet, even if real, is ultimately false. So what is the point of this senseless obstinacy in regards to the world's reality or non-reality? I was thinking, because we've been studying the Parivas Sutra, here we have this verse in the middle of the Paramatma Sandarbha. It's actually in the 85th Anucheda, where he's talking about Paramatma and the manifestations of the universe. And some people look and they, of course, in this discussion, if you remember, we we pounded the post of Vivarta Vod just so that we would not have any conception that the universe is not real. You know, because that's the conception of the Advaitins, that the world is not real. It's just a false, it's just a dream. In the middle of all this discussion and everything, he puts this little thing, this little, it's like, okay, but if you want to know where my heart is, this is where my heart is. That if if, if, if what you arrive at after all of these arguments regarding does the world exist or not exist and how's it exist and who who's it exists from and if you if in all these arguments you don't come to the conclusion that the sweetest thing in existence is the fragrance from Krishna's feet then all of your all everything is just worthless useless you're just wasting your time I mean not that we should look at it it's not a waste of time but that's the conclusion we have to arrive at. When you're at that conclusion where all I want is the fragrance of Krishna's feet, then you've, you're there. You don't have to worry about anything else. So to your question, I think we should look at the, at the extreme good fortune and the magnanimity of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And yes, of course, as I look at it, it's an evolution of theism. It's an evolution of an understanding of the Bhagavat Purana itself that's coming forward. And Lord Chaitanya shined the, the most discriminating light on the true content of the Bhagavat Purana. And the it's, a, it's the secret of all secrets. You look at that. Krishna Varnam Twisa Krishnam. Who's going to read this verse from the 11th canto and realize there's another avatar coming and it's going to be Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu except the Goswamis and Lord Chaitanya's associate. Who's, who's drawing that kind of information? Who's drawing the information that of, of the verse Iti Chamsa Kala Pumsa Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam and arriving the fact that Krishna is the ultimate manifestation of the Supreme Lord and all other manifestations are coming from him, not from Vishnu. Nobody's arrived at these conclusions until the advent of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, yes, it's it's a very esoteric understanding. And we are so blessed. Yes, we are. <laughs> from our perspective, there may be a deeper understanding. 
I don't know who would have it, but for me, I'm happy where I am right now, and this uh, this works for me, and I hope it works for you, and we'll just continue to associate with the you know the the, the writings of the Goswamis and the Sadhus that are present before us, and and progress in spiritual life and our understanding. And you'll find out as we go on, at least it's been my experience, is the deeper we go in to our understanding, there are even more and more esoteric truths that are going to come out. It doesn't end. It's, we're a student forever. We'll never know everything about Krishna. Krishna doesn't even know everything about Krishna. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association.